from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Get ready to rumble! It is time for Laugh Box, and I am Chip Lutz. I'm gonna try something kind of unique here. I'm gonna try a knock knock joke. Uh, I'm all by myself, so that's what makes it unique. So I'm gonna pretend that you're in the room with me. So, knock knock. Who's there? Alpaca. Alpaca who? Alpaca the trunk, you pack of the suitcase. <laughs> Let's get to the AATH conference, the 7th through the 9th of April 2019. Hey, that didn't work out too bad, actually. Um, and why do we want to get there? Because we're going to hear from awesome guests, um, uh, like my guest this week, Dr. Petter Pluta. And we're talking about the psychology of humor. Um, he's given us a little a little teaser, a little taster, um, a little sprinkle of what he's going to be sharing at the conference next year. So I want you to grab a piece of paper and some writing utensils. He's got some great strategies to share with you. So enjoy. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Laugh Box, the official podcast for the Association for Applied Therapeutic Humor. And today, I'm talking to somebody across the big pond, across the big drink. He's over in Norway, and he's taking time out of his day to spend a little time with me, sharing about his special gift. I'm talking to Piat Pluta. He was like, he gave me a little school on how to pronounce his name correctly. I think I still massacred it, but that's okay, because um, I have trouble rolling my R. So welcome, my friends, to the podcast. Hello. Hey, nice. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm really willing to share a little bit about my work and humor. Awesome. Awesome. Well, for our listeners, if you could just share a little bit about, um, you know, your background, where you came from, how you got sure. interested in humor altogether. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm a um, psychology major. I studied psychology in both Poland, United States, and Spain, actually, in a couple of exchange programs. And whenever or wherever I did that at any particular university, there's been a lot of uh, talk about depression and investigating different mental disorders and investigating all of actually all different mental, uh, you know, mechanisms related to psychology, of course. But humor was not really at all, neither studied or talked about. And but we laughed every day and used humor quite a lot. On the course of every regular day so i got interested into that and although humor and research on humor and humor theories were not part of the curriculum in any capacity i kind of started digging and found that there's quite a lot written about it and quite a lot of research that went to that so yeah that's basically what what uh, caught my eye what uh, how my interest in working and researching humor started is one, I've noticed that it's quite imp- it has to be important since we laugh so much and use it in so many different situations. It's such a multifaceted, you know, phenomenon. And two, uh, the fact that there was nothing about it in the, you know, the university and the, the, the psychological studies. So that's my background from the educational part. Uh, major in psychology, I have master's degree in organizational psychology. So naturally, when I finished university, I started looking for work, and I found one in an HR consultancy here in Norway, uh, in Oslo, and been working there ever since. And we have this tool called Diversity Icebreaker, which is not part of my humor 
um, let's say humor activities or humor project, but it does use a lot of humor when we do when we do when you do trainings and and humor was important. So I got to develop my interest further in that regard, uh, doing my professional work, working with teams, leaders, and you know communication trainings and so forth. That's uh, that's cool, and it's so interesting to me because you know when you're looking at humor as a body of work, I mean everybody has a sense of humor. We all know that how important it is, but like you were just saying, is that it wasn't part of the curriculum. And, you know mm-hmm. why? Why is that? Do you think? Wow, it's a very good question. I think there's it's a couple of answers, I guess, a couple of reasons. One would be that psychology historically have always been focused on the negative sides like when things are not working well Mm -hmm. that is the origin i guess you know starting from freud although freud himself was actually the first psychologist he was the first psychologist also the first psychologist who uh wrote about humor Uh, he wrote a book uh, about the joke and unconsciousness i think i don't know the title if i got the title uh right but he also uh called humor the only and the most positive and mature defense mechanism Mm-hmm. So, you know, so we already started talking about it, but still the focus went rather on the negative side. Plus, throughout the years, I think, you know, just a general approach to science and, and investigating, uh, investigative activity, uh, it, you know, you usually relate that to serious things. You know, humor is per definition not serious, although it does have very serious and important functions for both interpersonal and psychological uh, health and not only health, but just just functioning basically. So I think that's one of the reasons why it uh, it never really picked up as much attention as say you know uh, depression or right. and so forth. And yeah. you know to to be true, you know, people who suffer from depression they they really need help. And people who say don't know how to use humor that well, they also need help, but maybe you know that's acute. <laughs> True, 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 true. It's just kind of funny because I, I living here in the states, I always think that oh, you know, it, perhaps it's not as um, much a part of or as much of a discipline because of our, you know, our puritanical roots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, even you know, what from what you're saying overseas, it's pretty much mm-hmm. the same. It's not really taken as a serious discipline, even though you know, like you said, in and of itself, it's not a serious subject, but it has serious implications. Exactly. I think you know I'm a Catholic, <laughs> so we're not particularly <laughs> particularly known for for <laughs> for uh, you know appreciating the the value of, of humor and having fun. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, not always, but but yeah. So I think it's it's just general how. Um, in a way, you know, I, I started to think that it's maybe not necessarily bad because now it's changing and people start investigating it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I know that it's very important to keep humor humorous you know right <laughs> i can say something that reading and writing and researching about humor for many years taught me was that exactly that reading and writing about humor does not necessarily make you a comedian and doesn't make you, you know uh laugh too much you have to you have to you have to still do it you still let it go and you know have fun and that's basically the most important thing although what i found important in my work with organizations for example or a lot of my uh, research force and what I write goes into the field of organizational psychology is that mm-hmm. if you have some serious research background uh, with you, you can kind of convince people that, yeah, you know, it's just, just that having fun in the team 
it's just fun. It actually brings about uh, very important positive effects, you know, for right. both conflict resolution and generally cohesion in the group. So that that kind of helps. And what's surprising is that there's immense interest in in the organizations in HR departments, especially. Whenever I mention that, I do some research in humor. Right? We have this project called let's say humor profiler, one of the projects I was involved in, and uh, we're mapping out the individual differences in how people use humor in the workplace, right? So they go like, oh, this is crazy. Let's, I want I I a piece of that. You know, I want to share with my colleagues and just map everybody to see how, because they definitely notice that there are differences. So in a sense, they don't treat it that seriously because humor not necessarily transcribes to money in most people's heads, mm-hmm. most managers' heads, but then they're kind of like interested. Not maybe willing to pay for it, but yeah. <laughs> Just... <laughs> well, that's interesting. So in this profiler is like, you know, because I'm used you know, with other like personality mm-hmm. assessments, like the MBTI and the DISC is like, so with sure. this profiler, yeah. will it have like kind of uh, people have like a humor profile then of things they like and they don't like and how their personality relates to different aspects of humor? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, yeah, it's kind of, it's very similar to uh, how you have any regular um, psychological questionnaire profiler questionnaire is constructed. Uh, it's still an ongoing project. It's, by the way, another project. I think I will mention that during my presentation uh, in Chicago, but it's not going to be into in the focus of it. However, it's uh, it's it's basically what you what you're saying. It's it's measuring your preferences for how you use humor in different domains. So it'll be what kind of humor in terms of content? Content. What kind of context? Um, do you rather use a little bit like more transgressive kind of humor? So maybe try to establish a humorous connection with people you don't necessarily know, or are you rather on a safe side? So you know, keep to yourself and people around you that you know, and then you can allow yourself to do humor. So we have different different factors. Also, uh, whether you use humor in feedback, whether you use humor in work-related activities or only breaks, whether you are keen on participating in humor, but not necessarily initiating and being the, you know, the, the class clown or something uh-huh. and, and so forth. And then, you know, the point is to use it uh, with groups. So basically if you have a team and especially team with multicultural background, where not only you have your interpersonal differences, but also intercultural differences in terms of how we use humor to kind of help people to give them uh, both their profiles map out those differences, but also to give them basically vocabulary to speak about them. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, you every every day manager or, or 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 people who are not into researching or uh, you know not part of the association, uh, I, I think my experience at least that they don't have the vocabulary to to address humor on a meta level. So for example, if somebody's making a joke that's not necessarily nice, mm-hmm. and how to kind of how to cope with that without um say without uh, kind of hindering your relationship to that person because right. you both want to save face, right? But you want to say that those jokes, you know, they don't fall well with me, but at the same time, you know, he's a good guy, just you know, maybe doesn't know that it's different context that you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's it's, sure. it's kind of meant to help people to, to, to establish what we call a shared humor practice <laughs> or at least a common ground. Well, that's it, but that's a great concept a shared humor practice. Um, and I, I can't, I'm, 
I know you said you're just going to mention, you know, briefly at the conference, but it just to me, like having a, a profile, that's just fascinating research. Fascinating. Because I think that the implications for that in the workplace, I mean, uh, being mm -hmm. able to actually use a, you know, using humor strategically in order to like build teams and uh, build more cohesion, uh, cohesion within the group, get things done. I mean, it just, uh, that's what makes, uh, that's what makes it a serious subject right there. I mean, because it really has a strategic out outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, well, I said I'm going to just mention it shortly, but I might as well just bring about the whole, <laughs> the whole project down and just, you know, I, I will be there, so I will probably be able to share a link to, chat, to test it out, try it out. It's still, we're still um, in the process of building the tool, so we still uh, need data. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is one of the things that I can invite people during the conference to just uh, you know email me and if they want to participate in the project and just use it, uh, use the tool for free to try it out uh, with their clients or teams or just for themselves. Uh, we're all we're very interested in both feedback and data. Awesome, because we're we're seeing some interesting interesting results. Um, with we we did study with 300 uh, employees in, in Austria, uh, here in Europe, mm -hmm. uh, in the automotive industry, among other things, but that was the main main source of data. And uh, we saw a very interesting effect because we did this questionnaire together with the work engagement or employee engagement uh, questionnaire. So whether you're engaged or not basically at work mm -hmm. and whether your preferences for humor use uh, as measured as in our humor profiler influence that. One of the finds, actually the most interesting find, was that um, the use of humor at work, like in relation to your work tasks and, you know, joking in emails or stuff like that, it actually explains uh, up to 17% of variance, so differences among men, right? So the more you use it, the more engaged you are. But this relationship was only true for the male part of the participants and not for the women at all. Really? Yes, which was quite interesting. And we did some, uh, my colleague did a couple of follow-up interviews and we kind of tried to post hoc in, in, interpret those results because we didn't really, we didn't really thought we were going to see this. And uh, so we didn't have any theory to, to relate that to. Mm -hmm. But what, we, what, our, what we're thinking is that it can be that um, in this particular industry in Austria, the organizational culture can be, and male dominated, you know, so just kind of like um, a lot of put down humor, right? This kind of well, we don't know, right? We didn't really investigate that part, uh, but that was really interesting. That the more humor uh, a, a man uses in these organizations, uh, the more engaged they are, but not not women. So that was interesting. It is very interesting. Now, what I loved on uh, going through your website and watching your TED uh, video, one, what you said earlier is that uh, I liked your blog post on how um, researching, you know, and writing about humor <laughs> can be somewhat depressing. You've actually got to go out and practice it. I think that's hilarious. That's 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 good stuff right there. But I loved on your TED uh, your TED talk, and also mm -hmm. on uh, you know the whole story you had at the beginning on. Um, when you were, you know, walking up and, you know, trying to connect with this, you know, this big burly guy yeah. in his sweatsuit and that, you know, humor was that thing that connected you. Can you just recap that a little bit? Because I think it's a great story. Yeah, sure. So basically the story goes, that's a true story. Although it's, you know, I told it in a very much like dramatic TEDx format, but it's a really <laughs> true story. Uh, so we were hitchhiking in the Balkans and in, in, in Serbia particularly. And, you know, it, that was before Google Maps. That was before, you know, uh, GPS you can have in your pocket and everybody could afford it. So we just had a map, but we got lost. So we're not really good at reading that. 
and and you know we we there was only this one guy uh <laughs> sitting in, in front of his house uh alone and not really looking very friendly and we got used to uh, already in, in in the balkans and turkey you know that people were actually just they were outwardly friendly like if we were in a situation like that before in serbia in any other place in the balkans just standing there in the bar people would would just come up and, and ask if we want help right so mm-hmm. they're more proactive with it and he was not only not proactive but <laughs> he wasn't really receptive of any kind of you know so but i went up to him and 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 just as head in tedx i asked started asking right starting english do you speak english and he just shook his head no it, it didn't uh which wasn't surprising but then i went and went through all the languages that either me or my friends at the moment spoke so you know do you speak english yes part of francais I asked him in Polish, I asked him in German, although I didn't speak German, my friend did. And he said no to everything. Mm-hmm. And then, well, I said part of the French already, but this is what he said. <laughs> I destroyed my own punchline. But yeah, he asked, parlez-vous français? And there was nobody there who spoke French among us, although I mentioned like 67 different European languages. Right. And that just that just cracked us both because I said no, and he just says, "Wow, I was just ridiculous." Like Monty Python episode, you know, you just go through everything <laughs> language, and you don't have one in common. And the absurdity of the situation was so that you know, we just we just we just cracked it, and we just started laughing. And, and you know, in that very moment, you know, humor does that to people, right? They they kind of like feel they're more friends with each other although mm-hmm. they don't know each other at all. And especially in situations, I, I'm sure you've been to those kind of situations many times. Either abroad or in the United States, you go up and you see a person whom you assume have has um, maybe not that good intentions, but then something happens and you and you start laughing together and it just, just changes. And I can go and explain different mechanisms and how it works, but I think I may as well save it for the conference. <laughs> well, Unless I- you really, yeah. Yeah, well, let's hit uh, you know a couple of those because I think that it's you know it's, right. wor- it's worth noting uh, you know in our conversation because you know sure. I like that story because it's a great lead into just that topic that it's one of those universals mm-hmm. and I like uh, also how you you know stayed on there that uh, you know humor you know helps you connect locally but also globally. I mean, I mm-hmm. just I, I love that concept. Yeah, well, so talking about the humor connecting globally, I think uh, the most important element is that humor is very universal so already in the 1960s but i think it was already charles darwin worked something about that uh but 1970s 60s sorry you had this uh american psychologist paul ackman who uh, did some field research ethnographic research showing how both smiling and humor exists in many different and very remote cultures from the united states you know throughout europe russia and into the Papua uh, new guinea in indonesia mm-hmm. uh, now and and basically the explanation for that is that it has evolutionary roots. Um, and you know if you if you have a dog, right? So the puppy's playing, or or there's something about the way they uh, let each other know that this is only play and mm-hmm. not um, not actual violence, right? Uh, that is similar to how we do this, right? We would change the tone of voice a little bit. We, we smile, obviously. And it's even easier to notice the, diff- the, the similarities between humans and animals when you look at, you know, primates, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it's, it's just, it's just it's, there's no missing link. You, you just see it there. Mm-hmm. A lot of research went into that showing how uh, bonobos, for example, use this panting kind of sound that is probably 
um, how laughter developed and also how they um, expose your teeth in a slightly different way than we do, but still uh, in a way that is different than when they uh, expose teeth to show aggression. It's, it's mm -hmm. totally different. You know, you, you've probably seen like uh, small chimps or dogs, as I mentioned, playing this tumble play, right? So it's actually playing violence. It's playing war, but in a way that it's pretty clear that I don't mean no harm, right? So we're just having fun and both parts know it. So this is basically what makes humor so universal. And then if, you know, two people that don't know each other are from two different parts of of the globe, but they have this innate intrinsic ability to recognize uh, friendly intentions in humor, well, then, then you have a connection, right? And then you... And there's different mechanisms that go into that. They're a bit more advanced, uh, say cognitive mechanisms, for example, related mm -hmm. to when if we witness something and we both laugh from a mishap of somebody else's or just a funny thing, just an absurd thing that we just just happen to, to see together, uh, we automatically perceive each other subjectively as more similar because wow, you you know, you, you saw the same thing, you noticed the same thing, you you attach maybe the same kind of values to what happened and I laugh and you laugh and that's basically a confirmation that we we can be similar. And to the extent that even if you uh, kind of conjure up or make like a artificial situation where two strangers laugh together, they will then subjectively perceive themselves as more similar. Although the laughter or humor was kind of provoked, for example, in an experiment. So that, is, very that, that is fascinating, though. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, so I, well, because I always uh, known that you know humor helps me connect with other people, but I never really thought of from an aspect of I see them as more similar as, to my you know, uh, unconsciously. Mm -hmm. I see them as more similar to myself, and mm -hmm. so you know I'd be more apt to like them because we laughed at the same thing together. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. fascinating. that's you know it, you can take that <laughs> almost in, uh, you're you know you're your your most your closest personal relationships as well i mean those are probably mm. the people that uh you know the people that are closest to your have your own uh, a more similar sense of humor are the people that you're going to be the most close to are probably your best your your closest friends mm -hmm. yeah i think definitely uh, humor is a very important um i don't know like a social probe if you will mm -hmm. when you select uh, when you select your your mates when you select your friends when you select your you know your, your reference group basically and you know there's going to be variations and people laugh less or more from those who are the things but it's just you know the things we laugh uh that the things that make us laugh actually tell a lot about who we are basically right mm -hmm. if you have very strong uh, convictions about one issue and the other person treats it lightly it may not be the best fit if you know what i'm saying you won't laugh in the same way or right. in the same situations so it's kind of it's an important i think it's an important thing um in terms of selection uh when you select people and a lot of research went into at least um how and in what which way humor is important when when it comes to selecting your romantic uh you know your your better part if you will your better half mm -hmm. so romantic relationships basically what's interesting is that in research again and again <laughs> it it turns out that men will well it's important for the men the sense of humor in in women uh but not to the same extent like women would rate sense of humor number 1 this is the most important thing mm -hmm. 
when I look for boyfriend or, or, or husband and for men, and that could be physical attractivity, basically. Uh-huh. Uh, so we are a bit more shallow like that, I guess. <laughs> and, right. you know, and, and then humor comes, comes later. And there's a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of ways people try to explain that. And a lot of that has to do with the traditional social, uh, like role expectations. Right, so men would mm-hmm. be the one who traditionally, historically, who spoke more, uh, you know, the one who made jokes and stuff. In many cultures, like women were not supposed to make jokes, even not supposed to laugh, even, you know. Mm-hmm. So, hopefully, thankfully, this is changing a lot, and you know, you you see advent of a lot of great stand-up comedians, women stand-up comedians. It's it's changing, fortunately. So, I think it's not it's not something, you know, evolutionary that much as it is. Um, maybe you know revolving uh, resulting from social norm expectations however on the other hand a lot of other people would, would try to go and explain this result that men use humor to compete between each other for resources right, right. and uh, also as a sign of intelligence you know if you can be quick in making jokes and so forth and so they want to impress women and so forth but why wouldn't work the other way around? Well, again, a lot of people point to the um, to the uh, you know social roles, expectations, and and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there's another interesting interesting uh, whole other subject and a lot of research that went into investigating differences between men and women uh, when it comes to humor. Right. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think about that in my own in my own family. Like I have two boys and two girls. Um, Right. children and the way that i use humor with my sons is much much different than the way that with my you know i can be much rougher almost mm-hmm. kind of like um you're saying like in the autom- automotive study that you did you're a lot mm-hmm. rougher uh, because that's how I, I guess you know we banter back and forth and you know um mm-hmm. make make each other tougher. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, uh, but with my daughters, I mean, they have really wicked senses of humor, but, um, <laughs> they, um, they use it, uh, I don't know, a little more slyly. They're, they're, they, mm. they so yeah, I just kind of slyly is an interesting word that you use because, uh, <laughs> that reminds me of, um, some other, uh, couple of studies that, that, that investigate preferences, what kind of humor, like, uh, men, women prefer. And, and it turns out that men do prefer a little more of that put down banter, you know, a little bit more of aggressive humor, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily aggressive in a, in a bad way. I mean, yeah, it t- sometimes turns out that way, but you know, more of a, on the, on the attacking kind of a side. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas women really, I think they, they, they showed more preference for wordplay and a bit longer, you know, more, <laughs> some people say sophisticated <laughs> constructions, right? Less, less like, you know, less of a rapid exchange and competing for space mm-hmm. being very sharp and focused and quick mm-hmm. with um you know uh comebacks and stuff like that but more of a you know playing with words and, and stuff like that so yeah and it's different and there's some other studies that also and you probably noticed that that um i think humor works differently in mixed groups than in you know men only men only women groups Right. Right. Mm. Well, I tell you what, I mean, I am really looking forward to uh, hearing more about your research and the things that you do when you're um, speaking at the conference. If Mm -hmm. um, after today, people want to connect with you, um, you know, where do you want them to go to connect with you? Um, They can just uh, drop an email. That'd be probably the easiest uh, part. And they can find my email on my blog, um, psychologyofhumor.com. 
or just just simply uh, write to my email, which starts with my name, <laughs> which is P-I-O-T-R, which is just, I'm going to just spell for Papa India Oscar Tango Romeo, right? Right. At, uh, at psychologyofhumor.com. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, I, like I said, I'm, I appreciate you spending a little time with me today, but I really appreciate the work that you're doing to kind of demystify, uh, demystify humor and make it, you know, so people really want to use it as a discipline rather than just a nice to have. Mm -hmm. I think so. And just going back to one of the posts that you mentioned that researching and writing about humor can make you depressed. Actually, that was the, one of the questions I got from the audience. Uh, and I kind of challenged that because I don't think it did that to me. I got a little bit more reflected and maybe less on, you know, maybe I actually use a little bit less humor when I present, but I'm much more receptive and I, towards it. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, all the work I'm doing is demystifying the humor, but I, I sure hope I'm not killing all the fun. <laughs> the man who killed humor. I don't think that's possible. But um. <laughs> no, there was this joke in Monty Python's sketch, the deadliest joke on earth that was used in the World War II to fight Nazis. I don't know if you've seen that. I did. But I have I seen that. Yeah. I don't think you can kill humor now. But that's that's a great skit. And that's funny because you made a you made a Monty Python reference earlier about you know the translating things and made me think of the uh, the um, the skits. With uh, with John Cleese, where he goes in to buy something, but he's his translation book is wrong, and he goes in. He says like he says to the clerk, he's yeah. like, "I want to fundle your buttocks," but he's trying to buy something anyway. <laughs> yeah, like the Hungarian, the Hungarian. Yeah, I remember that. That's great. That's a great skit. Yeah, too. one of my favorite. Well, hey, thanks so much for spending time with me today. I really appreciate. Uh, I really appreciate it. I know our listeners will get a lot from the things that you shared, and uh, we'll look forward to your presentation as much as I am. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to going there and presenting for y'all. What a super smart guy. What'd I tell you? I can't wait to meet him in person, hear the rest of what he's going to share at the conference. What was your favorite part of the interview? I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email at chip at unconventionalleader.com and let me know. Um, let me know what you like about the interview or any of the interviews or just to share a joke with me. I'm it's lonely on this end. Anyway, until next time, this is Chip Lutz reminding you that against the assault of laughter, nothing can stand. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at aath.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.